Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much uh, for joining us for this second hour. Uh, my power's still out where I am, uh, so appreciate your ongoing prayers for the restoration uh, of the power. It's, uh, it's always a challenge, right, to live without electricity that we rely on each and every day. Um, I know that the power's on in your life because Christ is illuminating you wherever you are, and he intends to walk the gospel out into the world that he so loves in and through you as an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven and an agent of grace. That's what we're here to do uh, today is to equip and inspire you to live out your Christian faith in ways that honor Jesus in every way today, in every environment, in every space. And we're going to be grateful and thankful um, for the things that, uh, the th- not only the things that we have, but for the reality, the reality of knowing that we live in a gospel universe that we live in a personal universe where God reigns. Our God reigns right now um, over every circumstance of your life. Even if it feels like things are completely out of control, they are, in fact, in fact, not out of control. Um, they may feel like they're out of your control or my control, which is uh, almost certainly true. Uh, but they're not out of God's control in terms of his sovereignty over all things. And so let's place our our faith and our trust uh, anew in him today uh, and let us turn our attention to what's happening in the world today and learn to better apply the mind of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, utilizing uh, the scriptures as our uh, just such a gift of grace. Aren't the scriptures such a gift of God's grace to us? So I'm going to encourage you again to be in the word before you are in the world. Uh, and so always asking the question, where in the word are you today? I uh, I love to spend time in the Psalms every day, in addition to whatever other reading I am doing. Um, I have been uh, in preparation for some Sunday school teaching. I have been recently in the letters of Paul to the early church and have just been reminded, just been reminded not only of Christ's supremacy, but just been reminded of the myriad and manifold ways that God pours out his Holy Spirit into the life of the church in order that the church might be in the world, um, uh, you know, the, the agency, uh, the, the outpost, the place, the people, the substantial visible, gracious, beautiful demonstration of the gospel. So that's who we are. That's what uh, we are in the world to do. If you've ever wondered is advance the gospel always and in all ways, bringing glory to God in in all things and in the midst of all circumstances. So as we turn our attention uh, now to some of the concerns of the day, let us do so as people of faith, bearing faithful witness. My uh, first conversation partner in this hour is Daniel Harrell. He is the incoming editor-in-chief of Christianity Today. Christianity Today is 
you know, one of uh, one of the most substantial communication devices uh, in terms of evangelical Christians in the United States of America. It's been around since 1956, sort of the gold standard in terms of um, groups. I would describe it as a media group that seeks to communicate what is happening in, among, and through evangelicals in the United States. And as that conversation and constituency is changing, thought it would be fun to bring the incoming editor-in-chief on the show and just talk about it. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Daniel Harrell. He is the incoming editor-in-chief of Christianity Today. Daniel, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hi, good morning. Uh, I'm just, we're thrilled to have you here today. Let's just start with you sort of sharing with people who you are and um, why you, you know, why you're embracing this, because uh, this is really a little bit of a different calling in terms of where you've been. So um, if you could just share with folks, you know, who you are and why you're moving into this role, that would be, that'd be wonderful. Uh, sure. Um, so I've uh, been a pastor in uh, three churches over the last uh, 34 years, most recently at Colonial Church uh, here in Edina, Minnesota, for the last 10 years. The, uh, I guess the move to Christianity today was, was very, very unexpected in the sense that um, I wasn't necessarily seeking uh, a new calling uh, in my life, but Having been familiar with CT and certainly having um, worked with uh, that community for all the years I've uh, been a pastor, whether through writing or through the individuals involved, when um, they reached out actually looking uh, for a pastor, someone who loved words, someone who loved theology, uh, it, it, it was a great fit for this time in, in my life. So I'm thrilled for the opportunity. I, um, I guess I would just add that a friend of mine, uh, sort of a longtime uh, friend, has become the recent uh, president of Christianity Today, and we've worked together on several projects over the years. So there was that angle, too, that allows us to come together and, and really see uh, Christianity Today into its its next season. All right. Again, I'm talking with Daniel Harrell. He's the incoming editor-in-chief of Christianity Today. For people who are maybe not familiar with Christianity Today and the breadth and scope of its ministry, it's been around since the mid-1950s. I would describe it as um, just a a highly trusted um, media outlet, uh, you know, maybe originally thought of as a magazine, but I now think of it as very much an online resource um, in addition to being a print publication. And you can find it at ChristianityToday.org if you're you're looking for more information. Um, one of the things that it says, uh, you know, on the website in terms of like who we are, I like this paragraph, and I think that when um, when we think about media, we don't necessarily think about media in this way. And so I just want to lift up this paragraph to you. Christianity Today advocates for the church shapes the evangelical conversation, brings important issues to the forefront, and provides practical solutions for church leaders. Um, Daniel, I'd love for you to pull any one of those threads. I think it may be surprising to people that that advocacy is on this list and that Christianity Today is not just a reporting arm. There's really an attempt here to, you know, as it comes right out and says, shape the conversation and provide, um, you know, some practical help for for church leaders. Yeah, I think in this... uh 
next season, uh, Christianity Today is looking to, to focus on two aspects um, of its work amongst Christians um, in America and around the world. One is a storytelling aspect, and here perhaps is is the news side. There's this, this sense in which much of what gets reported about the church and Christianity in America is an uh, always a positive report. And so how is it that CT can step into some of that space and and tell the story of, of how Christ is working through his people for good in the world and tell that in a, a winsome and, and powerful and attractive way? And then the other side is uh, what we're calling um, working as a sage in the context of, of leadership in the church. How can we as CT and its resources and connections uh, pull together uh, those who might uh, advocate for the power of the gospel, uh, thoughtful uh, Christian engagement and culture? How can, how can we as a, a magazine and a media space um, help leaders? who are leading uh, the church in America. I would, I would probably also add that um, the church isn't necessarily thought of here as uh, particular religious institutions, um, but the greater body of Christ and, and all the spaces that they are living out the gospel in the world. So, you know, as I think about your appointment to this position as editor-in-chief of CT, and we think about Tim um, uh, taking on— Dalrymple. uh, Yeah, Dalrymple taking on—I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, uh, of him taking on this position as president. Uh, The National Association Association of Evangelicals also in the midst of, you know, certainly a generational transition in leadership. Uh, It does feel as if there is— I don't really want to use a changing of the guard because I don't really generationally think of it that way. But I do think there would be a lot of people who would think of it that way. There does seem to be a generational shift taking place. And as that happens, I think that the conversation about who is an evangelical and how we talk to one another and the things that we talk about and how we talk about those things is likely to change. Oh, no, I think that's that's in, intentional here. Um your listeners might be interested in the fact that 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 Tim and I, as well as Walter Kim, the new president of the National Association of Evangelicals, all have our our roots at Park Street Church in Boston, which um, its famed pastor Harold Ockingay was part of the the founding uh, um, team that got Christianity Today uh, going back in the day. I think the the, the thread there uh, recognizes that to go forward as evangelicals in America is going to require a, a deeper, uh, more thoughtful, um, even more more savvy approach, um, given all that um, has transpired most recently uh, politically and culturally in regards to evangelical Christianity. I think the, the definition, of course, is a beautiful—the uh, evangelical definition is a beautiful one historically, but has been— um, you know, sort of taken over of late in ways that that make it hard to even use that name. So, um, what we hope, um, you know, by working together, is to redeem in some ways the the beauty of of what it means to be an evangelical Christian, while at the same time broadening the tent um, to help Christians across the the theological spectrum. You know, who come together in our faith as well as in our our, our action for the sake of the gospel. 
I'm I'm uh, I am personally excited about it, and obviously professionally uh, here in terms of what we do, just excited about the collaboration that we have frequently mm. with some of your writers, and um, just appreciate what you guys are doing. So when we come back, I'm going to continue my conversation with Daniel Harrell, the incoming editor in chief of Christianity Today. Maybe we'll pivot and have a conversation about some issues in evangelicalism today, um, and how CT maybe is bringing its voice to bear in those conversations. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Daniel Harrell, the incoming editor-in-chief of Christianity Today. Um, if, if, I were, if I were going to maybe resist using the term or, or the word evangelical or referring to myself in that way, um, are you guys thinking about replacement language? <laughs> you know, I, I probably can't speak to that yet. I know the, the conversation certainly uh, comes up on occasion. Um, the problem is, like, what's the better word uh, to right. use? So I think there right. is an ongoing, an ongoing conversation around, you know, at what point does, does a word like evangelical become irredeemable? And um, I don't think we're there yet, but, but it is a challenge. It is a challenge. And so it probably doesn't get emphasized as much as perhaps it had in the past, given some of the uh, um, connotations at the moment. So we're we're word people and and we are people yeah. of the word and so I'm I am not personally giving up the term um, I am actively making sure that people who are experiencing that term in a negative way um, know what I mean when I use it and who I am and my convictions related to it um, you know as a former member of the board of the NAE I'm not willing to give up the term um, and certainly as a person who understands myself as a um, you know, as a vocal witness to the gospel in this generation, I know I'm not I'm not willing to give it up. So um, I'll I'll stand there and keep using it. Um, and if that helps, then great. You you talk about these two kind of roles. One is a storytelling and one is a sage. And I feel like, um, you know, let's just lift up and our listeners may or may not have a lot of uh, of information. And so you and I don't need to to dig down in necessarily into the weeds of this story. But there is a storyline right now related to two high-profile uh, evangelical Christians. One would be Beth Moore. The other would be John MacArthur. And they have been, um, you know, well, they are, for better or for worse, you know, engaged in a very public conversation about the role of women in in various aspects of leadership within not just the church, but I would say uh, in the culture. And so, you know, how does CT go about telling a story? Maybe that's the best question that I could ask that doesn't necessarily take us into the the weeds of uh, something where people might be hoping you and I would come to resolution. (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, I think on the the story side, it probably would include not only reporting this particular encounter, but, you know, perhaps also celebrating in some ways. Um, we see ministry happening by, by both men and women, both currently and throughout history, uh, as a way of perhaps broadening that conversation uh, beyond this, uh, you know, particular contentious moment between um, the high-profile people. And then on, on the sage side, I think just trying to, to bring to bear um, how you know, historically and, and biblically, these, uh, these conversations have, have progressed. And I think at the same time, recognizing that, that faithful Christians might, might find themselves in, in different positions. I mean, Christianity Today, I think, isn't 
doesn't necessarily see itself in a place of resolving conflict as much as uh, being a, an arena where conversation can happen, but also trying to, to shine light, uh, some new light perhaps on places where uh, one side or another, you might say, hasn't considered that before. It's, it's, it's touchy because part of being a, a Christian is being passionate about our faith and our traditions bring that to bear and the extent to which CT can, can help people at least understand another perspective I think uh, is important uh, given their platform and, and their history of doing that. And then we have the, the the sage part of the conversation. And this is where I feel like, you know, people um, today are not just looking for information. They're also looking for analysis and application. And for Christians, you know, that means we are seeking to um, discern the truth and then be, be guided by it. Um, sometimes that you know, means there's this act of submission where I have to recognize that the ideas I've had about something are not actually aligned with the way God thinks about it. That's hard. But then there is this conversation about, well, what are the better ideas? What are the more biblical or Christ-like ways that we could be answering really complicated uh, questions in the culture? And so on the racial reconciliation um, front, I really feel like CT has been, continues to be um, a a genuine voice of truth in a conversation that is really complex. And so I just want to lift that up as a, um, you know, as a place where I feel like if I'm right, you're not just telling a story, you're seeking to be a sage. Well, I think, you know, the, the area of racial reconciliation is one, I think, that is dear to the heart of CT, you know, emerging as it did out of a predominantly, um, a white Christian tradition that recognizes, of course, that the, the gospel is for all nations, and and I think it sees as part of its calling um, a desire to to rectify places where it wasn't as inclusive as it should have been in the past, while at the same time, uh, in this particular day and age and, and season in America, particularly seeing itself as a voice for peace and for justice, and to making sure that that its convening power, you know, includes voices. Diverse voices um, across the Christian community. It really wants to be able to to provide a platform and a place where uh, the deep breadth and beauty of the gospel can be celebrated in all of its all of its voices. So, when do you start officially? I start in January. I'm going to start remotely. Okay. Um, I have a daughter who's finishing up sixth grade, and then we'll move <gasps> to the Chicago area. Um, I'm, uh, I'm a single parent now. My wife died of cancer in April. Mm. And so we're, oh, um, I'm so sorry. Yeah, thanks. We're, we're, hey, I'm sorry too. We're, wow. we're embarking on this journey, uh, together, my daughter and I, and we're excited, uh, about it in some ways, nervous about it in others, but the community there has been, has really been fantastic. And, um, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by the opportunity, but, uh, those those are just opportunities for our faith to stretch, and they've got a lot of confidence in me, so I hope I can uh, step up to that. Um, let, let's pray for you before uh, before we let you go. Daniel, thank you yeah, so thanks. much for being with us today. Father, we, um, we lift up Daniel. We lift up his daughter. We thank you for this new opportunity, this fresh expression um, of a calling. We ask that... Um, that you would bless them in this transition, that you would bless the congregation that he now serves, uh, and that you would bless this wider and larger congregation across the country and around the world uh, who you know, really are not only the audience of CT, but its family. 
And Father, we simply ask that you would provide Daniel all of the spiritual resources that are necessary for this good work, which you have clearly created in advance for him to do. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you for his willingness, Father, to offer himself up in this act of service. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, amen. Thank you thank so you. much. Yeah, we'll continue praying for you. We're going to continue to have your writers uh, on with us, and we hope you'll come back as well. Very good. Thank you, Carmen. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. All right, so up next, I mean, prepare yourself for um, just delight, just to be delighted, in part because Oz Guinness, you know, frankly, just has a melodious voice that we love to listen to. And uh, and maybe more importantly, probably more importantly, he would say certainly more importantly, um, he has some things to say that bring real clarity to the moment in which we live. And he has been a faithful witness to the veracity of God's word in the midst of a generation that um, would prefer pretty much anything but the truth. And his latest book is entitled Carpe Diem Redeemed, Seizing the Day, Discerning the Times. Oz Guinness will be here next. Parents of rebellious teens often tell me that they feel like their house is falling apart, but no home is beyond repair. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. If your relationships at home are falling apart, here are three things to help restore a sense of peace and order. First, give your teen more responsibility. You'll be surprised by how he steps up to the plate when he has the freedom to grow up. And second, listen more, talk less. Your teen is far more likely to respond to two-way conversations than relentless nagging in lectures. And finally, invest in your relationship. Find an activity you both enjoy. Remember, fixing relationships won't happen overnight. Make an investment of time and energy and watch the growth begin. Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. is a scholar. Um, I would describe him as one of the preeminent social commentators of our generation. Um, and he is just a delightful conversation partner. Uh, you know him as the author of many, many books, uh, Impossible People, Fool's Talk, Renaissance, um, on and on. We recently talked, I don't know, I feel like maybe it was just last year, about his book, Last Call for Liberty. Um, also, The Case for Civility, one of my favorites. Today, he is back to talk about his latest book, Carpe Diem Redeemed, Seizing the Day, Discerning the Times. Oz Guinness, welcome back. Thank you, Carmen. Pleasure to be with you again. You know, I felt like um, that you and I could probably just spend our time um, roaming around in the first 14 pages because there, it literally, it's almost as if in these first 14 pages, before the book actually gets started, um, you bear witness to the fascination, almost the consuming concept of time over time. Everybody from Dr. Seuss to uh, Augustine to every every thinker that we could probably come up with and a recognizable name of throughout the course of human history has made some kind of comment 
on the subject of time? Why are we so fascinated by this issue? Well, simply because time is so important to all of us. We're living in it. Our lives are incredibly short, if you think of it. And the challenge is, how do we make the most of it? So for all of us, you know, we are followers of Jesus. But for other people, too, for every human being, life is short and vulnerable. And the question is, how do you make the most of it? And the huge differences between, say, the Jewish and Christian, the biblical view of time, which is by far the richest and deepest, and, say, the Eastern view of time, where time is a circle, a wheel, and then the secularist view of time, where there's no real ultimate meaning. So I put all those quotations in. Some are deep, some are funny. They almost tell the whole story by themselves. They do. And um, that was one of the reasons that, you know, I think that as we were going to talk about the content of the book, one of the things that I recognize about myself is Mm -hmm. I love what authors do outside of the content of the book. Like, I I love appendices. I love, you know, (laughs) and so I love this, these 14 pages of quotes, because I know that that for you, there's something there. There's some there there. And so I just, I want to highlight that and appreciate that. Um, the Dr. Seuss quote uh, is probably one of my favorites in that, um, <clears throat> in that long laundry list of quotes about time. So let me, um, let me ask you to do this. Let's start with uh, carpe diem. We probably all recognize that concept of seizing the day, uh, making the most. Let me let me make the most of the time I have. Um, but there's a reason. This is almost like you finished somebody else's book. There's a reason you wrote this particular book. Well, the reason is very simply that we all face the challenge. Of course, that's the deepest reason. But also, the the simple fact is that. You know, there's a wrong view of carpe diem today. So I read a book by an Australian philosopher, best-selling book called Carpe Diem Regained. And as an atheist, it was basically grab it while you can. And that's a terrible view. It leads to the spontaneous sometimes, but the shellfish and the short-sighted. And the biblical view is so much richer and deeper. When I read his book, I thought, my goodness, time to put the contrast to the biblical view. And the biblical view is not only different from the atheist view, it's different from the Eastern view. You know, that life just goes round and round and round, reincarnation and so on. And I just love the biblical view. And it's time in our Western culture to relay the foundations, the biblical foundations, because they've given way. And one of them is the view of time and history, which has real meaning in the biblical understanding. So again, I'm talking with Oz Guinness. You can find him at ozguinness.com. You can also find him on Facebook and Twitter at Oz Guinness. Uh, We are talking about Carpe Diem Redeemed, his newest book, Seizing the Day, Discerning the Times. Oz, I felt like, um, based on the conversation that we had uh, after, after the publication of your last book, and I know you well enough to know you're already working on the next one because you, you do not have an idle mind. Um, and so I was kind of anticipating uh, a lot more on the covenant section, but I was very satisfied with the part that was in there on, on the subject of covenant. Talk a little bit about the biblical understanding of time. Well, basically, time and history have real meaning because they're going somewhere. We don't always see it. Uh, We don't always have a full life to achieve what we'd love to. 
but over everything is God's covenant and his providence. And one day the meaning of history will be revealed. And the end of the biblical world, apocalypse, sounds like catastrophe at the end of time. But it actually in Greek means the unveiling, the decoding, the explanation. And so time is going somewhere. But amazingly, as we come to know the Lord and discover the calling and the gifts he's given to each one of us, we enter into that covenant of, covenantal partnership and do our part in the restoration of his purposes in the world. And you have the deepest sense of using, making the most of time. So we're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, I'm wondering, can we turn together to page... Um, well, I really want to turn to like the first page of the conclusion because there's a question there that I I, will, I want to tell you what I thought when I read that page the first time, and then I want to ask you a question about it. So we're going to, um, when we come back, we're going to turn with Oz Guinness to the first page of the conclusion of the book, uh, and that will be on page 135 of Carpe Diem Redeemed. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. Continuing my conversation with Oz Guinness, most recently the author of Carpe Diem Redeemed, Seizing the Day, Discerning the Times, in which he says, in short, seizing the day, making the most of life, and understanding the meaning of life are inseparable. All three require that if we are to uh, master time, we must come to know the author of time, the meaning of time, and come to know the part he, play, he, he calls us to play in his grand story which makes the deepest overall sense of time and history. Even more, wonder of wonders, we are then invited to live lives that align our individual hopes and destinies with the very purpose and destiny of the universe itself. Big calling, um, big invitation. Um, Oz, uh, when you think about this book, what is your hoped-for takeaway? And then I want to turn uh, with you to the conclusion. Well, it's both personal and broader. In other words, each of us individually faces that, that challenge of the challenge of mortality. Life is short, and how do we make the most of it and live really well? Most people don't even think about it, sadly. You know what Pascal calls diversion. People surround themselves with busy, entertaining distraction. Never have there been more of what's called weapons of mass distraction, cell phones and so on. And you see people just don't think about life. So that's one hope. But also to show the contrast apologetically between the wonderful biblical view and the rather hopeless views of the Eastern view, where history is going nowhere, round and round and round, going nowhere. And then the secularist view, where history means nothing. You know, Shakespeare's word, tale told by an idiot, sound and fury signifying nothing. And you can see the biblical view is the most wonderful one. So I hope people will look at it in personal terms, but also look at the wonder of the gospel in today's culture in contrast with the other views. And that is where I felt like as I was reading the um, the opening paragraph of the conclusion. Um, and when you talk about... <laughs> 
when you talk about really the culture of death, I wrote in the margin the culture of Darwin. Um, and I had already written in the margin abortion, suicide, and euthanasia. So as I'm reading mm-hmm. the the introduction to the conclusion, which is entitled Choose Life, which I just think is exactly um, the invitation of this book. And it comes from, you know, as you note here in the conclusion, both Deuteronomy 30 and John 10.10, like, right, this is the calling. This is the invitation that we would today— in the time that we have, spend the time that we have choosing life and and pointing other people or or inviting other people into life. Well, Carmen, you put the heart of our our current challenge, because we can say quickly the culture of death, which is Pope John Paul II's great term. But we're facing, if you look at American culture, we're facing a horror of great darkness, And really, at its heart, is a rejection of creation. We're created in the image of God. And people want to say, no, no, God is rivaling and restricting my freedom. I want to be free. And to be free, we've got to be autonomous, absolutely free to be ourselves. So we cut off history, we cut off the past, we cut off others, and we're condemning ourselves to what is becoming the culture of death. You know, abortion at the beginning, euthanasia at the end, but lots of other things in the middle. And you know the old saying, the worst is the corruption of the best. People say, how could Germany, the Reformation country, the best educated, most civilized, most cultured country in the world, how could it produce Nazism? The worst was the corruption of the best. And America has the seeds of the horror of great darkness. And all of us who follow Jesus have got to look at that It's got to be fought intellectually, it's got to be fought politically, it's got to be fought spiritually in prayer. But when you're putting your finger on the deepest challenge we face, you know, the different names, the Pope's was the culture of death, but there's something horrendous coming, and we need to have the full biblical response to it. I uh, I love the invitation um, in here. Uh, and when you wrote, um, in the meantime, which I'm going to read a paragraph here from page 137, um, I write in the margin, um, these are the mean times. Like, these times are mean in ways that I don't think uh, we often pause and consider that the darkness is dark. And I loved the image. Um, I feel like it's at the very beginning of the book where you're describing like, right, it's hard for a fish to describe the water that they're swimming in in, the, in much the same way. It's very, very difficult for me to discern the times in which I live. And it's also it's also hard for me, Oz, when I've been raised in a culture that's so polluted. How do I I mean, I, it's even hard for me to imagine what it would be like to live in an environment you know, of real light and real freshness and genuine mm-hmm. beauty, because I'm, I've been raised in a culture that is in in many, many ways, very, very polluted water. So I just want to share with folks like that's all in here. This is really rich material. And, you know, in the in the context of one interview, we don't have time to till all of that soil. But um, I'm trying to do my best and till as much as we can. So you say in here, let us seize the day humbly as we walk before God, endeavoring to read the signs of the times, seeking always to serve God's purposes in our generation and working together with all who place their hope in the great messianic day of the Lord that is coming. That for me is sort of living in the midst of the meantime with a focus on the end time, but recognizing that it's not all vanity right now. 
Well, thank you, Carmen. You put it absolutely magnificently well up, and you appear on the radio. I do. And you know people have only just read a few lines of the publicist stuff, and they haven't even dipped into the book at all. So you're really engaging with the real thing. And as an author, I deeply appreciate that and congratulate you. Um, but you're exactly right. We're in a most extraordinary generation. Here we are, the decline of the Western world, the United States, the Republic, facing its greatest re uh, crisis since the Civil War, and many Christians are asleep, which is tragic. The scandal of the American church is that this is the one country in the West where Christians are a huge majority, but uninfluential. In other words, not salty, not light-bearing. And tiny groups, our Jewish friends, are 2% of America, but they punch well above their weight intellectually, <laughs> financially, in all sorts of ways. Whereas we, who are a huge majority, we, we're more sugar than salt. And that's a tragedy. And you, you really understand and express things well. Well, uh, that's a that's high praise coming from you, um, because I know you well enough to know that you are already working on the next thing. Would you like to give us a glimpse or whet our appetite? Well, I was going to turn actually to an apologetic book, but um, the outline of a big sort of summary on freedom came to me. So mm. I'm plucking up my courage and <laughs> exploring that, a, a book that's a summary of the biblical view of freedom, because we who follow Jesus and our Jewish friends, we are the champions and the guardians of views of freedom and justice and human dignity and so on, which the world simply doesn't have. There was a dreadful case in England in the last month where someone resisting the transgender movement quoted Genesis 1:27, were made in the image and likeness of God. And the legal founding decision against him said that that was against human dignity. Well, that was absolutely ludicrous. Without Genesis 127, there would have been no human rights, no sense of human dignity. And of course, we as followers of Jesus, we're defenders of these great truths. And so we need to know where we are and where we stand. Amen. Osgenes, thank you so much for being such a faithful guide in this generation. Uh, I'm going to have this be our walk-off, our God. Oh, God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Be thou our guide while life shall last and our eternal home. Osgenes, thanks so much. Amen. Thank you. Amen. We'll be right back. I think it's fair to say, Paul, that no matter who won the World Series, we would be playing their celebratory music today. Am I right? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. And so I don't really need to hear from all of the Minnesota Twins fans that, you know, we're somehow advocating. I don't. Are they even in the right league? Like, I don't even know. National well, League, American League, who's in what? I don't know. Uh, I believe the Nats yeah. are in the National League. I think. All right. If we're yeah. wrong, if Paul and I are wrong, you guys okay, can yeah, correct yeah. us. Well, we're, anyway. we're open to that. Hey, happy Halloween. Happy the day before Reformation Day. Um, be sure you celebrate uh, today as holy, as set apart unto God in whatever you do and say, like in all things, in all things, live in such a way that the light of Christ can shine through you and pierce the darkness of this present generation. 
that's going to be my encourage, encouragement to each and every one of you today, um, even if the physical lights are not on where you are, which is true where I am. All right, friends, have a great day, and God bless. We'll see you right back here tomorrow on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.